and don't teach shoulder stand ever. I might do it occasionally myself, uh, out of habit, but I would never really teach it because I don't think it's good for you. Uh, and just because someone did it 100 years ago doesn't mean it's a good idea now. Right? We, we learn, we've learned that smoking is bad for us. We learn about the bodies. Uh, the asanas were just a tool, uh, a thing that were created as a vehicle. They're not the be all and end all. And as we, it was, I think it's traditional yoga, whatever that means to you, has given us so much and continues to give us so, so, so much. It's so intelligent, enlightened, wise in every sense. However, one of the vehicles that traditional yoga had was related to the anatomy and they used the knowledge they had at the time related to the body. That's Adam Husler and this is the Yoga Life Podcast. Hello there, how are you? I'm trying to change up my intro, trying to not say, hope you had a good week. So instead, I hope you had a good last seven days. And thanks for downloading or streaming this podcast episode this week with Adam Husler. So in terms of sheer output, let's start with this. I don't think there's anyone on Adam's level. The amount of public classes he teaches his calendar is chock-a-block. He does retreats. He does trainings. He does trainings within retreats. He does, obviously, workshops, which is how I um, met him. And he teaches online. I mean, the guy is pr- prolific. He's uh, constantly... His work ethic is, is really, really impressive. And I, I think not just the, the sheer output of his work, but also the style in which he does it, I really like. I have found that as a yoga teacher and someone who has to market themselves, I often found that a lot of people online, other male yoga teachers, I couldn't relate to. They would be have suntans covered in tattoos and be able to stand on one hand on some sunny beach somewhere. I live in Ireland. It rains most of the time here. It's grey a lot of the time. I still love it here. But the reality is we can't do the can't um do the same thing as what these guys in California are doing. So it was really good for me um to see someone like Adam on social media, most of the time with his clothes on, uh, posting interesting um, photographs, but even more interesting content and copy. He does it in a very British way. To me, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air in in a, a landscape through social media that can be quite bland. So I think it's important to find people in your career, for me, like Adam, that you can that have carved a different path and that give you the encouragement to do the same yourself, which he has for me. So it's a massive honour to have him on my podcast. I am. Um, I actually think this is the best one yet, the best episode, because as always, it wasn't scripted, but he's he's an intellectual and um, he just talked about things a lot deeper than simply yoga. And he's, as I said, he's not afraid to give his opinion and it makes for really interesting listening. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting Adam again. if you get a chance to go to any of his workshops, I highly recommend it. He's fantastic. 
if you enjoy the podcast, listen to, uh, sorry, review it on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, those reviews make a massive difference to me. Not just the rating, but actually writing something. It makes a huge difference. Um, and that's it. That's all I have to say. Without further ado, here's Adam. Hello, mate. How's it going? All good, all good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm well. How's your tea? Tea's amazing. I've had a coffee already, so this is dessert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we... Uh... So to give to people some context, last night we did... Well, I did your workshop, and it was full on. Yeah, it was meant to be a hard one. Less workshop, more just really long class on steroids. Like it, was, <laughs> it was a juicy one. It was a juicy one, yeah. Um, it was massively technical. Um, which I, I, mean, I went to your workshops last year as well um, and they're really technical and I love that f being a teacher because um, to break things down is, is really beneficial like for, for teachers yeah right? no, from, completely from your perspective where do you, did you learn all that technical stuff from? Like for me the technical stuff isn't the only way to teach and I think if you only ever went to my class you'd be bored and think just shut up and leave me alone <laughs> but we live in a world now where there are so many teachers teaching so many different styles that a yoga teacher doesn't need to be everything to everyone. My personal bias is that I like teaching in a very technical way. I, I think if you're gonna do something physically with your body, I'm not saying yoga is just physical, but if you're gonna do the physical aspect of it, you wanna do it safely, and you wanna do it in a way that makes sense. And then my aim is that if people learn about it in my class, when they go to a more flowy class, or a class that has more emphasis on spirituality, they can at least use some of the stuff that I've talked about and apply that to that class. Mm -hmm. And the other way as well, if people go to a spiritual class more so and come to mind occasionally, they might get a different thing from their meditation practice in my class. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the way I learnt it, I guess a lot of it is just more my personal interest. Uh, I've always been fairly academic. Uh, that's my background. Uh, so my research independently, has, I, I guess, is 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 lending itself to be more like technical. Mm. Uh, my main teacher, Jason Crandall, is very technical. Uh, and I just, I just, for me, everything in my life is about why. I always ask that question, much to the annoyance of my fiance, why, why, why? Like if I'm gonna do something or if I'm telling people to do something, I need to be able to say why. Why am I asking you to externally rotate? Why am I asking you to do this? What is the actual benefit of that? Uh, sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's an annoying thing. But why is a big part of my personality. Yeah. <laughs> asking why all the time. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You, you said about... Because um, you, you studied law, didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Never would have been a lawyer, but studied law at Durham, which at the time was, I think still is, like one of the leading law schools in the country. Yeah. I mean, there is, uh, from my experience, there isn't many people that would have done that and then become a yoga teacher so maybe your mind is geared that way towards detail and towards uh, because I, I i felt like in your class everything was so specific very practical there was mm. a lot of anatomy in, in the class um there wasn't um much flowery language as i, as I would say and yeah. I, I really relate to that so if i if i do a class i find that i want i, I like a practical uh, to be explained in a practical way to me um, and 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 what I noticed at the end of your class actually was that you don't you didn't you did an, a lovely Zen mantra, um, but you didn't do what was the Zen mantra again? Uh, so it was the evening gatha. Uh, so about life and death being important, and may all beings be happy. 
yes. and the like. And it was a favourite one of my late meditation teacher, a guy called Michael Stone. Yeah. Who, uh, yeah, look him up. Yeah, if you haven't, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know from, um, I've heard great things. Um, but you didn't say Om and you don't say Namaste. No. Why, why, why is that? <laughs> so part of it, there's no massive complex reason. Uh, one reason could be that Namaste is grammatically incorrect if you say it to a group of people. Uh, I got that from Richard Rosen. <laughs> Richard Rosen's wonderful. Uh, another part of it is I just, I want to make yoga as accessible as I can to everyone. Uh, I want to make sure there's nothing that makes people feel awkward uh, at all. I don't personally really feel the need to say, oh, it's not to say I wouldn't say it in, a, in another class, but I think that some people feel uncomfortable when they say it, especially some of the people that kind of like my class, people that are more led to wanting technical, logical yoga, often feel a bit awkward chanting or often feel a bit awkward doing a loud arm or like, or speaking in Sanskrit. Uh, not saying that any of that is a bad thing, but what I'm saying is I would rather not then not feel awkward at any point in class and let it be completely accessible and i think people can still have a very enlightening experience just by being with their breath and observing a long inhale observing a long, long exhale observing the pattern of their breath saying thank you in their own language at the end of class and that's all over say thank you for sharing your practice and then i hear some people say thank you i hear some people say cheers i hear some people say namaste and it's i, I really like that the fact okay. i'm not making it codified and this isn't how we end every class you kind of say what you want to me as a way of showing respect to each other uh and it's the same with with arm you know i i have put value on it but in my regular dropping classes i don't think it's a fundamental thing that makes it a yoga class uh and i don't chant a lot because i think if i chant a lot you would have to go through the process of explaining what this means what this chant means both translation and my understanding of it that takes time mm. and I think there were teachers that do that wonderfully like Emma Henry is incredible at that and we, she incorporates it into every single class that she teaches uh, so I think I teach one style she teaches another let's say they complement each other really well but again and come back to my whole idea before that every teacher doesn't need to be everything to everyone we live in a world where we can focus on our bias mm. and people can pick and choose Grammatically, you said it doesn't make sense. What, why? Oh, no, I've got no idea. I'm just, okay. I'm just parroting <laughs> who's far more intelligent and informed than I am. It's funny you said that um, you don't have to be everything to everyone. I had a first happen to me on Friday, first time this has ever happened in my yoga career, my short yoga career so far. But somebody came into class yawned extensively very loudly in the warm-up like as in like like arms out the whole shebang then when the class began they did their own thing i thought okay i, I ignored what i was teaching and then maybe 20 minutes in looked at me as if like i just told them christmas was cancelled and walked out have what's and and someone and I, and I and I was so flustered. Yeah, I was getting my left and rights mixed up, and I was like, "Sorry, everyone, I fucked up." But I just I actually said "fuck" as well in class. I was, I was so like flustered. I went back to like old school Kev. Um, I, I lost my zen, 
Um, and someone said to me, you can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. You don't know. So it's just funny you say that. You don't know what that person's issue were. So um, what, what's like the worst thing that's happened to you in class? Like, if you come back to what you said, I think, yeah, people have so much going on in their lives. You've got no idea. Like everyone's life is infinitely complex. Uh, and that, that can, you can feel that that separates us, but actually I think it makes us more close. The fact that all of us are going through this really complex stuff that is complex life that is full of suffering in many ways uh, and we all have relationship problems we all have work problems we all have ambitions we all have things that stress us out uh, and yeah with that person you had no idea what's going on in her life uh, and sometimes our ego makes it about us we think actually it's my fault it was all about me maybe they didn't like my class maybe I could have something, done something different but there is just this infinite number of variables that could have been happening there uh, in that situation like that, my view is often, if they're yawning and distracting, I'll kind of ignore them. Kind of, that's happened to me enough times now to ignore it. If they're doing their own thing, I will often, because I, when I teach class, I'm fairly chilled and quite colloquial uh, and sometimes sarcastic. And I'll be like, everything I'm doing in class has a rationale. Every variation has a rationale. Don't do kundanyasana we're not doing kundinyasana. This, the thing that we're doing, there was a reason for it in the context of the sequence. I'm like, don't point your toes today. I'm not saying never do it, but today, don't point your toes because mm -hmm. we're working X, Y, Z. Uh, and I'll say that. Or I'll, if someone is doing something dangerous, and that's where I normally step in. If they're doing something that I perceive to be dangerous to themselves or to others, I'll go up to them and say, look, I'm insured. I don't want to use my insurance policy. I've got no claims bonus. <laughs> You're in my class now. Now that you've chosen to come to a public class. Respect, respect the process of being in a public class. Mm. Uh, I have responsibility for you legally. Yeah. Uh, but it's like you saying that, you've got to be so subtle, haven't you? So that, I don't think you need to be. But the, it, I think saying it, if you, if you were saying it, it to, to everyone at that point in time, yes, if, if I would actually, if somebody's just freestyling, doing weird, crazy stuff, I would go up to them and just whisper, softly in their ear, like, <laughs> please stop doing your own thing. I've planned this sequence. Yeah. Now, I've taught yoga for a long time. I've done this rodeo before. Trust me, there's a rationale. If you can't respect that, you know, you, please leave. Mm. Uh, the, the, the way you said it yesterday, you actually, you actually did say that you said, you, um, you can point your toe, but th th today flex it. You yeah. actually said it yesterday. And I don't know if you were like, um, you, you did it very subtly. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I'm not, experienced enough to do would do there i took it very personally yeah and i i visibly got flustered um but it's it's very interesting as you said it, i made it about me yeah I, I am a kind of egotistical in that respect um and that's something that I, I suppose you have to experience these things don't you like oh god yeah like it's and that's the beauty that's why i always say to people you need to be a good teacher you need to teach a hell of a lot for so many reasons to see so many bodies to see how people interact with your instruction to see or to be stressed out by people doing weird stuff. That's how you learn. That's not by doing an infinite amount of trainings, mm -hmm. but by teaching a hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. That's how you can become competent at being a teacher, I think. And also I, I, being able to reflect and take accountability for certain things mm -hmm. and not be like, because I could easily say, that was his fault, not my fault. But I do think there are some things I could have done differently. Like I could have introduced myself to him or her, um, like at the start of the class. And um, I think um, 
Yeah, I suppose it's just I've got I've got a lot to learn in that respect. Uh, when did you first start teaching yoga? What one I, thing based coming back to that yeah. is in terms of what you you changing because of one person. I think yes, you want to be able to change overall and learn as your career develops and as you develop as a teacher. But I think when someone offends you or compliments you, you need to ask who is who is offending or complimenting you, and do how much do you actually value their opinion? someone that comes to the occasional yoga class if they find your class boring so what they're not an expert yoga teacher they're not someone you really respect and it's the same if someone really compliments you like so many people when I remember first started teaching like that's the best class ever thank you in high, and I was like yes that's the best class ever like, looking back clearly it wasn't the best class ever like I had no idea what I was doing and I just think we should always take compliments and insults with a very, a very massive pinch of salt, uh, yeah. both ways, and not read too much into it. That's not to say you shouldn't learn and adapt. And if there's a general trend of people saying your music's too loud and your music might be too loud, but if one person once says it's too loud, or if one person once says it's the best music ever, kind of ignore it. If my teacher came to my class, I would take their compliment or insult seriously. But I think we need to just make sure that when we do receive this feedback, either way, we don't attach too much to it. And so in the context of, I've had people complain about my class. I've had someone you know, say that, give feedback to say, he was rude and he told me not to do something. And out of context, I'm like, oh, but actually I know what that was. And I know the moment that that happened. And I know that actually it was for her own safety because she was doing something completely different to what the class was about in every sense. Mm. But you can't just, so I just, I was like, actually, fine, but I don't give that feedback any, any value at all. Mm. Uh, and the same thing happens in other ways, you know. You could go, this is the worst thing a teacher could do, is go into like a mind-body review system. So mind-body, you could, people can review your class. Mm -hmm. it's, it's awful for your ego in every sense. Either you get all these wonderful reviews and then you share them on Facebook and you kind of, you validate yourself. Oh, I'm an amazing teacher. This person wrote this about me. This person wrote this about me. Or the other way, everyone's saying, oh, that's a crap class. And suddenly you kind of <laughs> feel awful and want a bottle of vodka. Uh, so I think feedback should, you should try and as much as possible with feedback, average it out. And when I say average it out, if people keep coming back to your class, and there are an amount of people that keep returning to your class, you're doing something right. Yeah. If every week you have a completely different class, no one's returning, and your class numbers are steadily declining, then you can take the average to mean something's going wrong. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a decent way of yeah. receiving feedback from public classes. Yeah, I, I think it's just because it's the first time it happened to me, and um, you can put your finger on the floor, because it will just, yeah, yeah. Um, just talking about our tea. <laughs> <laughs> careful placement of teacups. Um, it was the first time it happened to me, so it rattled me, and last night I couldn't, I didn't sleep very well because I started to imagine, mm. will they come again next week? And what will I say, and what will they do? And will I say to them, listen, if you're not gonna, if you're gonna be like this, you must leave, or like, how will I handle it? And what I, um, what I quite like, what you, you were doing last night is, you're very uh, to the point. You know, mm. everything is done subtly, but it's like, look, I'm in charge essentially. That's the feeling I get. Yeah. Not, not this thing of, oh, feel free to do this, or you can do this, or you can do this, you can do that.
because sometimes people want to be told what to do. That's yeah. part of the reason they come to class. Uh, and I, I actually did a post on Instagram about this recently that you, sometimes you've got to remember what you do know, like how many hours you trained for, how many classes you were taught. And um, I can always say, oh, well, I've only taught for a year and a bit. What do I know? But at the same time, I've done 600 hours uh, training. I have really high attendance rate. Um, uh, and so obviously I do know stuff. And I think to remind myself and have that confidence because I really, I really feel like starting a podcast, starting an Instagram account, all this stuff, it requires confidence. Mm. And if you're going to be self-employed, I know loads of really good yoga teachers that um, struggle to get, um, to kind of branch out to do other things in terms of um, diversify their business, for want of a better word, um, because they're not confident in, in their own voice, mm. as it were. Um, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, we we skipped out the other question. How did I start yoga? You were saying no, because I'm interested. Because uh, how long? Uh, how, yeah, how did? You, when did you start yoga? How about, many years I think ago? About twelve years ago. When did you start teaching then? About five years ago. So considering you've only taught for five years, you've got like um, you've done a lot, haven't you? I think so. What it's been for me is number one. I did I did yoga for a long time before I even considered doing a training in it. Like my, my practice for the first two years was very inconsistent, uh, but then I moved to a new city. I think it was my home city, but it felt very alien to me in that I didn't know anyone there, everyone had gone. Uh, and I wanted a better social life beyond my work and my boxing. Uh, I wanted to meet people that I had something in common with. And I thought yoga, doing yoga in a more formal environment more regularly would be a good thing for that. And I ended up doing more yoga uh, for then that reason and I got so much out of it. Uh, and I did yoga for so long without ever thinking it was going to be a career. Like it was, that was not on the radar. When I did my first training, it was partly to enhance my knowledge, but part at the time I was managing these two big kind of multi-purpose centers, including youth center. And I thought, well, maybe I can teach the kids, like the teenagers, some yoga. Uh, in the end, I got opportunities straight away. Uh, and then it just built up. And I've always worked very hard. So at one point I was managing like 30, 40 staff across two different sites, working 60, 70 hours a week and teaching seven classes uh, wow. a week. And I've, I've just always just taught a lot. But it, you know, it was never really the career plan. But it just seemed that I was competent at it and people liked how I did it. Uh, and I think with any career, there is of course a learning you can do, the practice and the training but sometimes you are naturally competent or, not, or less so. And I think that's the same for every career. And it just seemed that I had an ability to teach yoga mm. in a way that people liked and they received it well. Mm. Uh, and had, I guess, a personality disposition that could work a, a lot. Like, I mean, I, if I can teach six classes of the day, I don't feel exhausted at the end of it. I'm not, oh, I feel, you know, I feel drained. I'm not saying that people shouldn't feel drained. I think it's quite normal <laughs> to feel drained. Uh, or especially maybe if you give emotionally of yourself a lot. But I personally have a disposition that can just teach and teach and teach and teach. And, flat and yesterday I was teaching Saturday morning in London, very early. Flew to Ireland, taught in Ireland, teaching two more classes today in Ireland. Flying back home, teaching tomorrow morning in London. Mm -hmm. And that's it's not ideal, but it's fine. 
Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I said in the car that your your workhorse. I mean, in terms of public classes, that's clear from Instagram. From your um, that you, uh, you you the volume of class you teach is, is, is a lot. There's, there's, I mean, that seems to me that's undeniable. Um, where is it? Because to go to law school, it requires you must have studied hard in school to get there. Yeah. So you've, I assume you've always had that work ethic. I think part of it's I think cultural. I am from an Irish family, and I think with an Irish Catholic family, okay. I'm also an Irish citizen actually. Are you? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, Welcome back. <laughs> from like an Irish an Irish Catholic family, uh, I think that if there's something I get a sense of guilt. <laughs> like if you're not working hard if you're not providing if you're not earning money there is this overwhelming sense of guilt and I think I've always had that uh, and that's not a bad thing but I think I've always been brought up with it so and so went to school went to a good school my parents sacrificed a lot to send me to a good primary school then I managed to get like an assisted place like a scholarship kind of thing but not a scholarship to a really good private school and just there it's just drummed into you mm. Even in the school song, like we're the people that will change the world. There's a school song. It's school. It's, it's yeah. It's like we were like a top ten school. Kind of okay. Thing. Oh they're right. The, they're the school song. We push you hard. Uh, there's no place for fop or idler. Uh, <laughs> we never. Well, I thought, we never stop to scrub our shin. Forward where the scrimmage thicken. Yeah. It's all like come on forwards. Work hard. Don't count your pennies. Just keep going. So that's drummed into you. And then it's all, it was a case of, at that school, you go to Oxford or Cambridge, or you do law or medicine. Ideally, you do law or medicine at Oxford or Cambridge. But you do, unless you're particularly talented at something, they're your four options, really. Mm. And so I did law at Durham, which was, I think, second in the league tables when I went there. And then again, it's just, you need to succeed. However, there, I ended up doing a lot of extracurricular stuff mainly charity work with young people in different settings at young offenders institutions schools just on the side uh, and that kind of changed how I looked at the world slightly and I was then f I still wanted to be the best at what I did but what I wanted to do was be the head of a charity that I wanted to be head of save the children or something at that point that was my career trajectory and I was going in that route but then yoga not yoga took over but I quit one job because I was a bit disenchanted with the sector. And at which point I just was doing yoga at the side anyway, got offered more and more classes. It's like, okay, this can be a legitimate career. And then, then when I decided that actually I'm gonna, this yoga is going to be my full time, it was, you know, I want to be good at it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be just a mediocrity person. I want to be good and competent. So I was like, well, how can I be good? Let's practice teaching a lot. Let's research a lot do trainings where relevant mm. uh, and just work hard and make sure I make an effort, make sure I plan my classes and don't just freestyle mm. and take it seriously. Mm. And I think sometimes it isn't necessarily. You know, people love what they do but don't treat it like a service. They feel like they're entitled to a certain amount of money to get paid because they've done a quick training and they would just rock up a class and not plan it and teach whatever comes to mind, feel the flow. Mm. Uh, and I think Sometimes people look at it in the wrong way, mm. with the wrong attitude, and don't take it seriously. They don't mm. take their position seriously. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying everyone needs to be like me in terms of just obsessed with doing it well, but that's certainly my disposition. Yeah. Uh, and I think I work so much because I want to be good and want a stable income. Yeah. And I teach probably more than any other teacher I know, public classes, 
but then also I add on to that probably workshops three times a month, often international. So like next weekend, wow. I'm in Slovenia. Jesus. The weekend afterwards, I'm in Austria, leading a uh, like 30-hour teacher training. Then I'm in, I think, in Birmingham at some point. Then I'm in Italy for my wedding planning. Mm. Then I'm <laughs> in Switzerland doing a 30-hour teacher training. Uh, then I'm in Dundee. I've probably got the order wrong. Mm. And that's all on top of teaching all those classes of the week. Blimey. Where possible. What did, your, what did your folks make of it when you said you wanted to be a yoga teacher uh, after it was, going it was, to law school? It was very gradual. Like, cause it was never, I didn't ever suddenly want to be a yoga teacher. It was, I did the training and that was fine because I was doing it on the side. And I think they just saw eventually that I could make success from it. And I was doing well and I was enjoying it. I had a nice quality of life. And I guess they saw, because my dad, it was harder in a sense that he was from a background where no one went to uni, his family, etc. No one went to uni, everyone was going to work in factories or just doing like, which is fine. So I was the first one to go to private school and certainly the first one to go to uni in his side. And then I guess he at times didn't find it hard, like embarrassed, but found it hard to explain to people that he sacrificed so much and his son is now a yoga teacher. <laughs> that wasn't the expectation. The expectation was that I was going to be a successful lawyer. Uh, but then when I started to appear on TV, when I started to appear in magazines, <laughs> a little bit more teaching crazy events, then it was easier for him to be like, well, Adam's doing this, but he loves it and he gets to travel the world and here he is in a magazine, he's doing well. Mm. Yeah. What, what did your dad do for a living? So until he started to get a series of cancer, he had, he was a heating engineer. Very good at what he did. Eng engineer? Heating, a heating, a heating engineer. Okay. So like boilers and stuff, but often like commercial. Like, you know, occasionally in bigger jobs, they go to oil rigs and do a setup there. Or just random stuff in people's homes as well. Yeah. Uh, my mom's a teacher. Yeah. And she's still working? Nope. Oh, no, she retired. She, yeah, she, she retired. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Are they both, well, obviously your father's passed away, but um, are they both Irish? Or no, 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 no. From no. Irish backgrounds? M mom's side. Oh. All Irish backgrounds, yeah. Oh, all Irish on that side. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I've got no other ethnicity of my dad's side. <laughs> like, we all just look... Must have some Spanish. I've got no idea. Like, we all are quite hairy. We get very dark. <laughs> in the, we all get very dark in the summer. I've got no idea. I think certainly um, on, on both sides, there's a little bit of, like, Roman Gypsy, I think. On both yeah. sides. Yeah? Yeah. Like, a lot of that dark hair, green eyes. Okay. Go <laughs> going on, yeah. And we certainly trace back to my like, dad's side. Like gypsies that used to live on barges on the canals in Birmingham. And we've traced some of it down to that, yeah. Oh, interesting. So that's why you like the boxing, maybe? Oh, no, they were all, all my dad's had of boxers. Interesting. So that's where it comes from. They're all, they're all boxers. I did, my mum vetoed boxing for years, so I did martial arts. Then I got to uni, and the martial arts club was rubbish. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, I need, I want some fitness. And that's when I started doing boxing more seriously. What, what martial arts did you do? Karate, Shotokan karate. Yeah. And the club was fine, but it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit for me. Mm. And it, well, they, it wasn't athletic. Mm -hmm. So I joined the boxing club. Uh, and it required a little bit of adaptation. Uh, and then boxing became a big part of my life for ages, yeah. Because on the face of it, yoga and boxing seem complete op opposites. Uh, why do you like boxing? For me, like yoga is a practice of balance, balance in, it, in every sense. 
Like physically, we're trying to balance between flexibility and strength. We're not trying to mentally, I think, be with the bliss too much or the blisters. We're always trying to find something, something kind of in between. Uh, I think if you went to boxing with a view of I want to hurt people really badly and I just want to punish them, then of course that's not very Ahimsa. Uh, but I just see it as, as a form of fitness, a form of looking after your body, like a little bit of dance work, a connection with the person you're in a ring with in a very primal way. And it kind of taps into something very interesting, I think. And I've never been in an environment, even in the pro clubs that I used to box at, where there was aggression outside the ring with people that knew each other. Of course, in the professional boxing world, there is animosity and that's part of the drama uh, at, the, at the high level. But in just the normal boxing world, it's actually not full of aggression at all. Mm. Uh, at all, really. It's full of people that are just appreciating it for what it is. And of course, in the ring, there is aggression. Uh, but I think it, it's compliments yoga well. I don't do it a lot anymore. Uh, occasionally, I try and just put the, put, go in a bag, put the gloves on. Mm. But I think it's important to, in your life, be open, as long as it's not hurting anyone else, particularly, be open to as many things as possible. Try new things and not just have a life of leading or reading psychological magazines, inspirational quotes, hugging people, claiming everyone is against you and everyone should love each other. Uh, I think if you, if, if you lead a life like that, you're not getting a balanced experience of existence. What do you mean by it taps into something interesting? What is that something? Say that again. You said that boxing taps into something interesting. Oh, interesting like as in... It's so prime when you're actually boxing, when you're actually fighting in the ring. You're just in the ring with someone. You can't, you know, yes, they want to hurt you in a sense. That, that is... It's just man on man. It's, it's so interesting. Just person against person. Trying to like beat each other in a sense. Mm. Like warriors. You know, there's something primal about it. Mm. Uh, but warriors have respect for each other. An honour before and afterwards. Mm. Uh, I just find it super interesting. It's a super interesting state of being. Mm. That I think it's nice for everyone to experience. I'm, all, I'm a big, just a big fan of experiencing extremes not indulging them, not feeling low and indulging that, not feeling elated and indulging that, but experiencing them once or twice mm. and then just observing or bearing witness to how you are during that uh, both ways. But then I think yoga has done wonders more than in any way it's affected me. It's done wonders in just bringing me fairly consistently back to the, the middle ground. And I had this conversation actually with my fiance recently that I... I'm look, you know, I've had a lot happen to me in the last year. I've taught in the most incredible places. Uh, I've had opportunities to be on TV. I've had a father path away. I had a relationship, a previous relationship breakdown a little bit earlier. This relationship, take the dog that I've fallen in love with. Uh, I'd broken my foot thinking that was going to be like career ending. I'd got attacked from behind on the street in London. All this happened in a fairly condensed period of time. But I, through it all, I didn't really feel any massive emotional extremes in either direction, either like massively elated or massively sad. Of course, there were moments, like they were writing my dad's obituary, that killed me. That was a, a real defining, oh. But I never, 
and never indulged either extreme. Now recently that's how yoga's helped me, being able to feel in the moment, but then come back to the center, come back to balance. Mm. Uh, and I, so, so sometimes I think, oh, am I being unappreciative that I'm teaching this incredible place and I'm not being like, oh, or I'm flying to different countries and not being, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing in the world. And I don't feel guilty, I think it's fine. That I'm just experiencing a life, uh, observing it, but not being attached to the emotions that come from it. Mm. Feeling, but not attaching to them. I think that life can be so sanitized mm. and that I, I train jiu-jitsu and I have done for a couple of years and um, and I boxed for, I did a train for a white collar event and um, which didn't actually happen because the guy didn't show up. But, um, <laughs> um, but I remember my, when I first got into spa and um, I like just, I, I, my jab was like the only decent thing I had, yeah. like as in like best uh, kind of a um, best of a bad bunch of uh, techniques that I had, you could say. But I remember I like stuck my arm out, hit him on the nose and his nose started bleeding. There was blood on my glove. And I remember thinking, I feel alive, man. <laughs> I feel alive. Like that sounds terrible to say, but um, there was something exciting about it, <sighs> which sounds a bit crazy. But um, I, I think like th this is something that people are scared to talk about about the the extremes in life. Yeah. Everyone, I think, particularly on social media, are very um, on the fence. Everything's it's like what you posted up today about on the, the yeah. screenshot from Twitter about people afraid to have. Forgive me if I'm like misinterpreting it, but like people are afraid to have opinions, and that's what I really liked about your Instagram. Okay, so just to get what I was saying to you in the car coming up here. When I first started looking at Instagram, I thought, um, okay, there's no one on this Instagram that I can relate to. It's a, a bunch of lads who've got suntans and loads of tattoos and standing on one hand in a beach somewhere talking about gratitude. Uh, um, I've got none of that. Um, and then I seen Boys of Yoga, I seen you. I was like, who's this geezer? Look at these things like, okay, he's living in London. He's got cool photographs. And I read your, your you know, the, the post actually, what you wrote, wrote below the photos. And I thought it's so like British, kind of a bit sarcastic, almost slightly rude, uh, like very not not overly cheesy philosophy that he's copying and pasted from somewhere, as you said. But um, I don't know what my question is. I'm just making statements. Yeah, no, okay. So I'll, <laughs> I'll extend for the statement. Please. So like, what I think people, do, this world is full of now is just people that want to be nice. People that are too... Because on social media, you can get attacked and brought down. And the statement that I shared on Instagram this morning was from Matt Haig, saying that the worst thing that's happened in 2018 is this culture that someone can have one bad idea or one bad thought that might just be bad, not in everyone's opinion, but in someone's opinion, in, in, in an amount of people's opinion. And despite all of their millions of other thoughts every day, for that one thought, they can get taken apart in their career, ripped to pieces for one bad opinion. And I think we're not open to dialogue anymore. I think part of that is thanks to social media, people can get shot down so easily. It's this mob mentality of, you're wrong, you're wrong. And we lose dialogue. Hmm. Because all these anonymous people are, either the anonymous people are attacking or people are too scared to say anything that is remotely interesting. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and afraid to challenge the status quo. And it just leaves the world in this bland state, full of... That's it, bland. 
bland yeah. mediocre state where everyone is afraid to challenge the status quo. Everyone is just writing nice things about being happy and living life and loving people. And that's not it. Mm. And I think it's always dangerous as well. Like trying to persuade people they should always be happy all the time. That's not a good thing. I think that's not a good thing for mental health because people start to think I don't look like that or people start to think I I have to be happy and I'm not happy. What's going on? What's wrong with me? <laughs> so I think that's negative. Mm. Uh, an example of, of this was the other day I posted an image. I've started to see personal trainer again. Uh, I, due to all the stuff I just described, I kind of let myself go physically. Yeah. To be fair and honest, in a state that some people would still like anyway. Like, I was never unfit. I'm still, I was still always, I've always been fairly athletic because I've looked after myself generally and I have an active lifestyle. But for me, I didn't feel as I would want to feel. Uh, and I knew I wasn't healthy. And I knew I didn't eat necessarily the most nurturing food. And I felt like I just wasn't strong anymore. And I, and I, I, I like to have control of my body. So I started to see a personal trainer again about three months ago, eat the right food, etc., uh, etc., uh, all, all actually really positive changes. Uh, I felt better, I looked better in my opinion. Uh, I felt good about myself, I felt strong. My yoga practice again kind of improved, I had more stability again. I slept better, it's just ev ev everything was positive, mentally and physically. And actually the changes I made were all fairly sustainable. It wasn't that suddenly I'm training six hours a day. Um, all I've done is change it to training twice a week, maybe a third time if I'm feeling time rich, that's it plus eating better. It actually means eating more. Like every morning I have like three eggs and avocado, spinach and oats. <laughs> so I'm not like hard on myself. I'm eating just lots of good quality food. Uh, and someone wrote like you, you looked fine before. I think it's very insensitive that you posted a photo like this because you know, you're making, you have responsibility and people will think that they don't look good. If they looked worse than you before, they don't look good and they will feel now insecure about themselves. Like, well, to where does this end? Do I not put a photo of me and my fiance happy together <laughs> because someone might have just left a relationship? Yeah. Like, where, where does that end? Uh, it's, it's, it's this like nanny culture, yeah. and everyone needs to be protected. And we're not giving adults autonomy. You're an adult. You feel what you want to feel. Take responsibility for your own life. Mm. We don't need someone to just cuddle you at all times and make sure you're never offended. Because mm. where does that end? Where that idea of, of offence? You, I think you have no right to not be offended. Mm -hmm. And what, what is offensive to someone? Mm -hmm. If I said I don't like your shirt, like, am I being an awful person? Mm -hmm. Or if I say I really, you know, I'm not a fan of people that, that wear lighter colours, have I just ma should I be put down for that? Mm -hmm. For all the people that really, you know, where does it, where does it end? Mm -hmm. And what is what is offensive? Uh, and I don't go out on social media to offend people. I, I'm still very sensitive, but I have an opinion. Yeah, exactly. I have an opinion and I, you know, I don't target people and I give reason behind it and it's not just me, I, I, don't, I make sure I'm not just giving some kind of monologue, a so strongly opinionated monologue and I don't go out my way to offend people but I think it's just what I'm saying is fairly logical and sensible and mm. reasonable and I don't think anything I put up on social media is t too strong. Mm -hmm. uh, at all actually I've seen people write a lot worse I've read someone the other day who just slated the whole yoga community in, 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 in an attempt to validate themselves even more and be like well I'm different and every other teacher is shit mm. I don't go to any other teacher's classes uh, because 
I don't like them because they don't do this, 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 and this. Straight away, you've contradicted yourself. Mm. If you don't go to the teachers' classes, how do you know that every other teacher teaches like that? It just all, it all made no sense. Mm. Uh, so I think you can take it the other way. But I think it's important to be interesting and be real. And I think people relate to that. I think people I th- relate to being real. And the fact that we are yoga teachers, we're not perfect, we're not superhuman. We walk mm. the normal life with normal difficulties, financial relation, we have normal stuff going on. And when we start to present an image of ourselves that is inauthentic, it's already that the images that we present are normally the highlight reel in themselves. At least let's have some kind of genuine sentiment in the copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think your your the points you make are, are balanced, but it's just that it's so different to what like like as you were saying earlier the kind of philosophical copy and paste that people do uh, and it's so ironic as you mentioned that people think always being positive is good it, mm. for other people well it's not it's actually can be damaging because they're thinking oh i don't feel good every day yeah. uh, and uh and, and funny you talk about people being easily offended i wrote a post up last week saying that um I was about my experience in school yeah. and um, I could have gone into a lot more detail. I mean, I didn't say this, but I was beaten in school. Yeah. Uh, I went to a Catholic school and me and this other guy who was essentially a gypsy, it, me and him were like the kids that were beaten and we were, our mouths were sellotaped, we were facing the corner of the room. And, uh, and by I, teachers? By my teacher, yeah, oh, she, when I was like well, seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, she also, that same lady, I won't say her name out of respect, but she also worked in our local church, giving out the Eucharist and all that kind of stuff. I didn't actually, sorry, Adam, but I didn't actually say any of that in the post. Yeah. I was way more mild. I said, my experience of school, no, sorry, tell a lie. I said, school can, important mm. word is there, can be, uh, can cripple creativity, uh, like damage imagination and stunt, uh, I don't know, personal growth yeah. or something like that. I had like people writing in, write a comment and saying, as a, as a school teacher, I'm offended that you'd write this and you're saying that. And, and went off on a massive one. I said, but my, I said to my girlfriend, I said, like, you could say to me, I think the London accent is annoying. I'd be like, yeah, so it can be. I, I just think people are too easily offended and therefore they do it to a point where they're like, you can't say that because I'm offended. Yeah. Um, and when I was writing, <laughs> when I was writing my response, I was really like, mm. I was like, I'm going to say this. I'll get in with this one. And then um, my girlfriend was like, like no, don't say that. You know, just just say I'm sorry you feel that way. And I, that's what I did. I said, uh, no, I, th- oh, yeah, I think <laughs> so. Two points there. Number one, when people start to like write stuff, normally best option I find is just to ignore them for your own sanity. Is sometimes I do engage, but when people write stuff, it's just ignoring them or take the view that this isn't a democracy on my particular my 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 forum my page isn't a democracy isn't like i'm just going to delete it if i don't like it i delete comments <laughs> sometimes you, you do yeah okay not always but if someone writes something completely nonsensical i'm like no okay no nope, don't mm-hmm. want that someone's like just trolling me no that serves no value on my wall you 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 have your own comments on your wall if you want that serves no value uh other thing you said uh in relation to yeah the, the, your post and it's, it's that's a problem with something with, people don't know where you're coming from people don't know your background uh you don't know their background they might have just seen it as as an attack on the education system in general yeah. uh, and so i kind of get their idea but the idea that debates like that should and could be had on social media is nonsense 
Like the idea that you can have a meaningful debate via anonymous names on social media is silly. Mm. And I think the, all the you know the, all these people that want to change the world now. I think social media is a tool, but everyone like thinks it's going to change the world through sharing a video of something. I don't know whatever it might be. And actually, I think we need more meaningful action. Mm. We need to be more real. And actually, if we want to change something, do it in person. Use social media as a vehicle and a tool at times. Mm. But if we want to affect change, do it. Do so. Actually, do something. Yeah. Not the one second it takes you to share or write a post and write a comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went off on a tangent there. No, tangents are good. Uh, no, this, is, this is all interesting stuff because um, I think finding your voice is really, really important. And uh, Massively. And I think it should, you shouldn't try and be someone else. You need to let go of the mask. When I first started teaching yoga, I had a mask on. I had a man bun and I wore mala <laughs> And I had, I wore kind of hippie's clothing and a crystals around my neck. None of it was really true to me. I think, yeah, I felt I liked it in the moment, cult- culturally. But it was kind of a little bit of a mask. And I think we need to just, where we can, let go of masks. Yeah. In, in, in every sense. And I'm not, I, my social media now really represents how I teach. Yeah. As in, the stuff I say on social media is exactly what I was saying in class. Mm. It's maybe slightly sarcastic, slightly irreverent at times, but equally at the same time, Trying to be educational or trying to be motivational in some sense. Uh, and that's just exactly how I teach. Mm. There is no disconnect. Mm-hmm. There is, and this is increasing in my life. There is less and less disconnect between how I practice, how I teach, and how I display myself to the outer world through social media and the like. Mm. It's pretty uniform. There isn't like separate personalities. Yeah. Uh, and I think like, if you ask my fiance, she'd probably agree the person that spends the most time with me, that there's not three separate Adams. Mm. There is just me. Yeah, I, I did that myself. I mean, I've got, I haven't got much experience of you teaching, but when I first started teaching, I would speak like this and float your hands up to the air and I, I kind of was just copying other people. Mm. And then when I started speaking like I normally speak, um, it's actually my girlfriend who said like, um, that she noticed my class, I speak like a normal person. Yeah. You know, um, and just speak, you know, very, and um, yeah, but that's taken, a, it takes, as you said, a while to get there. Of course it does, but, yeah. but, I, but I think um, that it's, it makes life a lot easier because when I'm going to do things on Instagram now, I don't feel like I need to follow a certain thing because I just do what reflects my personality. Yeah. And it might not get the most followers. Like, I know if I put photos of me topless on, I'll get 10 times as many likes. Mm. Uh, but I think you always have to ask with social media let's say what are you trying to achieve yeah do you want if you are if your ambition is to teach yoga in your local area in various contexts make enough money from that to pay your mortgage support your support your kids and be around for your kids Mm -hmm. then actually all you need your social media to do is connect with those people Mm -hmm. and maybe slight and as a reference point so that people in the area can look you up if they want to find a yoga teacher. Mm. That's all you need it for. Uh, if you want to make money out of social media as in the sense of being paid, basically social media can be a billboard and you've created a billboard and companies can pay for rent on that billboard. If that's what you want, then of course you need to be a little bit more sexual or put yourself out there a little bit more 
and really appeal to the masses who might actually never come to your class. Mm. My personal aim is to teach a lot in London, have a really nice visual mood board that people can see uh, if they look me up, uh, and in connect with people that I teach in other cities. I teach internationally quite a lot, so I want to make sure I maintain relationship with those people and, and increase, incre increase the people that know of me. Mm. But I ultimately want people to come to my class. Mm -hmm. That's a transition. Because I'm using social media beyond to kind of spread a message, is to turn it into commercial gain. But through my yoga teaching. For people coming to so your class. Coming to class, coming to workshops, coming to trainings, etc. Uh, and, and then appreciating my teaching. And if they like it, staying connected with that. That's my aim for social media. And I, I think if, if you put so many photos of yourself semi naked on social media, or like sexual photos or like fine if that's what you want to do and it will appeal to a certain market but you have to ask all those people then following you who will they be because chances are if you put these kind of photos on then the people that are following you won't be the people that then come to your class yeah. they'll be a completely different demographic which is fine if you're making money from your billboard but if you actually want people to come to your class yeah. Like, I don't know anyone that said, you know, what I really want from a yoga teacher is them to look really good in the underwear. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've never heard that. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure lots of companies want that from their influencers. Mm -hmm. And I do some influencer stuff, as it were, but only stuff that really has integrity with me. Mm -hmm. Like a clothing brand that I actually wear every day anyway. Mm -hmm. It's owned by a best mate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do stuff for them. Of course. Or, or actually a bag brand that I've loved for six years. It's all made in Scotland called Track A and I'm obsessed with them. I love their stuff. Mm. And I was like, I'll just do anything for you. Can I get another bag though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I'll do anything. Like, I don't even pay me or anything. I just, I just love your stuff and I think it's amazing. Yeah. So I think you always have to ask with social media, what is your aim? Yes. 100%. Yeah. What, what do you want out of it? And it, again, this comes back to my whole obsession with why. What do you want out of it? And is what you're doing helping you achieve that? And you can apply it to a yoga asana. If you're taking a complex, if you're taking a twisting pose and the aim is to twist and you take some kind of bind or addition that means you twist less, why are you doing that? Mm. For me, it's like you work out what a pose, this comes with time, you work out what a pose is trying to do and only take variations to facilitate that more. Mm. Not variations then completely spoil the pose. Uh, that's actually a cheeky little segue you've just done there. You may not even know it. Because yeah. I wanted to ask you um, about... When I, when I came to your workshop yesterday, and I went to your workshop last year as well, I was thinking, this geezer speaks like just different to other teachers, and he says things that I haven't heard before. And one of the things you were talking about, I remember we did in the HIP workshop uh, last year, was the HIP mobility, the oh, yeah. FRC. And then last night you said in the workshop that... Um, you talking about active range of motion as opposed to passive range of motion. And in 30 years, you would rather be more uh, tight than, too tight than too loose. Yeah. So, uh, so could you drop some kind of knowledge on us? So what I'm talking about there <laughs> is, let's say Gomukhasana. So if anyone listens, that's basically one arm behind the back via the bum reaching up, one arm behind the head reaching back. Eventually your hands might meet. Traditionally, we would do what we could to get the hands together. We would wiggle, we could do straps, we would try and get the hands to touch ultimately. Yeah. For me, I would call that, this isn't kind of a uniform term, but I would call that passive range of motion. Are you, you're using your fingers 
or your hands or just friction between your hands and the back to get your hands closer, which is fine, which is absolutely fine. However, often in yoga, we don't do much active range. So what I would mean by active range was asking people to come into Gomukhasana, but without touching their back, or without moving their head or without back bending, yeah. just reach the hands towards each other. So you're moving the arms as far as they can go, just using the muscles designed to move, move the arms in that direction. And it's really good for people's ego because ultimately their hands are nowhere near each other and people are shaking. <laughs> and it's good. And because you're, you're building active range, useful range of motion and exploring that. Then for me, then the most passive range of motion is a teacher grabbing your hands and pulling them together. Mm. And that's part of why I don't particularly teach assists. There's other reasons we can talk about if you want, but I don't teach many heavy assists, certainly. Because I would rather people build the strength mm -hmm. to move their own body. Uh, and I think it's important we balance active and passive mobility. So, yes, it's nice to stick your leg behind your head. But I think test occasionally sitting down how high you can actually lift your leg without using your hands to lift the leg, yeah. for example. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just being overtly flexible and increasing laxity in muscles and over stretching ligaments and tendons in the long term leads to just too much instability. Mm. You know, like ligaments are like plastic. You overstretch them too much consistently over years. They can't do what they're supposed to do, which is hold stuff together. Mm. Uh, so I'm not saying I would want to be tight, over tight or over flexible. I'd rather have something in between. But I think sometimes in modern yoga, like people come to yoga already flexible in certain areas, like the lower back. For whatever reason, they're flexible in the lower back. Maybe they're hypermobile or maybe they just have done something like dance from a young age, which leads to extra mobility. And what they tend to do is they tend to overindulge the places where they're already over flexible. Uh, and every back bend gets deeper, but just through more compression in the lower back. And actually you see people's upper back who are going sometimes deep in back bends and the upper back's almost straight. Mm. The hinge is happening in one point and they just indulge, indulge, indulge. And then they have then certain parts of their body that are just ridiculously flexible mm. and over mobile and parts of their body that are then ridiculously tight because they've never mobilized them mm. and no strength to control it. Uh, so for me, I want balance. Uh, and I think being over tight in the long term probably would require less surgery. Yeah. Like it's not ideal and I wouldn't want it, but it would probably require less surgery than being over loose. Mm. Uh, and with loose liquid at the moment, you can't really, you can fuse bones together, but you can't add ligaments. Like I've ripped, due to a motorbike accident, something called a Liz Frank ligament in my foot. It's gone. Uh, it's gone, what do you mean? It's just being torn off. Okay. So what two options is, the option I'm taking is do enough strength work to find stability around my whole leg and, and around my whole foot and ankle so that it doesn't become as much of an issue. Or I fuse the bones together in my foot. Uh, that's a choice. So when you say it's gone, did it's it been torn off? Like the foot broke and the ligament got torn off. And it came, actually came out. No, not came out, but like it's not attached to anything. Oh, right, okay. It's like it's it's there, just yeah. doing nothing. It's uh, and so that's an example. Essentially, where I'm over flexible, the ligament's gone, and I can see how much problem it's causing me. I'm getting like it's hurting every day still. I'm having to build so much strength in the leg to stabilize it. Sometimes I don't think about it. Other days I wake up in pain, and it's like a year and a half later, or so. Uh, it's obviously a different situation, but that's an example of where a ligament is for, for a particular reason not working anymore, which could be similar to really overstretching it. 
and then the problems I'm having from that now and the problems I will continue to have for the rest of my life mm. from a ligament not being able to do its job mm. obviously mine is torn off but an over loose ligament after 30 years of really pulling it like in Badakanasana let's say really trying to twist your ankles I wonder what that gives you I, but I think that's because, as you uh, referred to yesterday, last night, people see flexibility as like they're more and they're more enlightened or more, the more spiritual, they're more flexible. Yeah. So think of yoga, like if I can go deep into this back, then it means I'm better at yoga. And I think that's why people value on flexibility yoga, so much. Yoga needs to be about, uh, yoga physically is a lot about flexibility because the majority of the population are tight in most areas. Mm -hmm. So to find balance most people need to work on flexibility. Yeah. But there's a significant portion of the population that now need to work on strengthening and stabilizing. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and again, come back to why. I think where we have become more educated or where as an individual you can educate yourself more or over time, just simply learning more, you can start to ask yourself, what is this pose doing? Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Let's look at a skeleton. Let's look at a, a, a model, uh, an anatomical model. What am I doing when I do this? Mm -hmm. Is it good for me? If in doubt, maybe let's do some research. Mm -hmm. Like a teacher I know in Croatia, she did this wonderful thing where she invited an osteopath to her studio and just did like 20 poses in front of them and asked the osteopath for their opinion. <laughs> Which is right. wonderful, I'd love yeah. to do that. <laughs> Pay an osteopath for their time. Just be like, mm. right, shoulder stand, what do you think of this? And again, as we learn more about the body, we're realizing certain things aren't that good. Like I never teach headstand really. Mm. I, te I might teach it occasionally in workshop context or retreat context if I know the group and the workshop or class has been specifically about that. Mm. But I would never throw it into a class mm. and don't teach shoulder stand ever. I might mm. do it occasionally myself uh, out of habit, but I would never really teach it because mm. uh, I don't think it's good for you. Uh, and just because someone did it 100 years ago doesn't mean it's a good idea now. Right? We, we learn. We've learned that smoking is bad for us. We learn about the bodies. Uh, the asanas mm -hmm. were just a tool, uh, a thing that were created as a vehicle. They're not the be-all and end-all. Mm. And as we... Exp it was... I think it's traditional yoga, whatever that means to you, has given us so much and continues to give us so, so, so much. It's so intelligent, enlightened... Uh, what you know, what why is in every sense however one of the vehicles that traditional yoga had was related to the anatomy and they used the knowledge they had at the time related to the body which is wonderful but it is limited we now have MRI scanners we now have people that spent 40 years doing surgery on the spine we know more Mm. And we can adapt that. That's not to take away from the practice, but it should evolve. Like everything should evolve. You know, Ashtanga yoga or Iyengar yoga, they're not hundreds of years old. They're not some like, ancient wisdom. They're relatively modern things, mm. physically. Uh, and it's not so we can't question it. Just because granddad did something doesn't mean it's a good idea. <laughs> what you, you alluded to earlier, physical assists. Oh, uh, okay. Go, go. <laughs> yeah, physical assists. So there's, I, in... in, in my class setup is kind of unique. The number one, I don't have a mat. I yes, never use a mat. I noticed that. Uh, rationale for that is, if I want to demo, I want to make sure I'm demoing the pose in that particular pose in a way that people can see. So I don't want to be limited by the four corners of a mat. 
I want to angle myself and turn myself and, and move myself as required based on where the class is mm -hmm. and what the pose is. Uh, number two, I don't demo a lot. For me, if I'm de the moment I'm demoing a pose, I'm not teaching. I'm not looking at the people. I'm not working out what's happening in people's bodies. I'm not keeping people safe. I'm not giving clear verbal instruction. I'm doing, I'm doing asana. Uh, and it's not good for your body either, particularly, to constantly demo asymmetrically. Mm. Uh, so that's one element of my teaching. I don't use a mat, and generally I don't actually do much asana when I'm teaching, unless it's something particularly weird that I want people to look at or observe. Uh, I also don't assist a lot. Uh, I think sometimes for new teachers, assisting is like a comfort blanket, like playing a good soundtrack. It makes them feel like they're doing something to be touching people all the time or by playing a cool playlist. I'm not saying assist are bad, and I think some wonderful teachers can do some really informed assists. And I would do some at times, but most of my assists are directional feedback, i.e. lifting a hand, uh, or just very soft touches, in certain, or not soft touches, but just pokes in certain areas, just directional feedback. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, and some, uh, but sometimes, actually, my first, my order of preference is instructing the whole class. Then seeing someone doing, or a few people doing something odd and giving an even more specific instruction based on what I'm seeing to the whole class. So it's not relevant to everyone, but it is relevant to everyone, but it's specifically relevant to a, a few of the people. Then the next one is actually speaking to an individual and be like, da, 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 lift this, lift that, do that. Or the next one is a non-verbal cue to an individual. So if someone is leaning forward, laterally tilting the pelvis in Warrior 2, I'm not going to grab their pelvis. I might grab a brick and say, this is what your pelvis is doing. <clears throat> Do this with it. Mm. Would be my normal approach. Then if I know someone very well, and I can see it might offer them some value, I might assist. But, generally speaking, I would rather people get themselves into the pose than me push them into a pose. Uh, I would rather them use their active mobility to find the pose and experience the pose. And if it takes them five minutes to get into Warrior 2, so gradual exploration, wonderful. Mm. Who am I to say that I know how the pose should be done? I know the shape of your body. I know your body in every detail. I'm going to put you in a shape that I think is the right shape for you. Uh, I don't like that idea. Mm. I've got no idea what's happening in everyone's body. Injuries, shape of femur in relation to acetabulum. And I know so many teachers that have hurt people badly. And often the people don't tell the teacher. Uh, and a teacher that have like, pulled people's hamstrings out and just popped them in a, in a silly forward fold assist or like. I would just rather people get into a pose themselves mm. uh, and explore that. And I'll help them facilitate that. But I don't want to put people into a pose. Mm. I don't think there's value in that, uh, particularly. Or getting people deeper. I would rather people find it mm. and find the experience they want in that moment. Uh, and another part of it is this consent thing. I'm a heterosexual male in a world that's generally full of females. Uh, I never did a lot of assisting anyway. Uh, but now I'm like, actually, I, I, this kind of comes to the legal thing. I know <laughs> what I'm doing. Well, when I do a pose, I know what I'm trying to do. So that would be the mens rea, in legal term, the intention as it were, or mentally doing, I know what I'm trying to do. It could be like tilting the pelvis, let's say. But the actus rea is then a little bit subjective. The actus rea would be actually the physical action of touching someone's pelvis. But I, I can't control 
how that person perceives the actus rea. I can't control how someone perceives me touching their pelvis uh, or doing an assist. I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, but I can't control how they receive it and they perceive it. So rather than getting into that dynamic, I'd rather just not touch people than be open to, well, he touched my pelvis here and actually I didn't like that. And I, I, I'm not... Like, I'm not saying that there are people accusing, I think there's lots of people accusing teachers of things rightly. And I know teachers that have done very bad things and they shouldn't have done that and they've taken advantage of their position. Uh, and that's not good. Uh, but it's more just protective of me. That whether it be male or female, I can't control how someone receives touch. I can't ask if anyone even wants to be touched at the start of class. Like, if I can guarantee, if I said to a class of 40, put your hands up if you don't want to be assisted, I would 100% forget who put their hand up. 100%, which makes the whole situation even worse. So my view is now that I don't assist for many reasons. And then part of that is also because actually I, I don't need to touch people. I don't really, I don't mm. need to touch people. They might not want me to touch them. Uh, I, I just don't find it necessary. But your style of teaching allows that because you're so detail-oriented. Indeed, indeed. And it's, I think when you're teaching, when you're really assisting someone, you're not looking at anyone else. When you spend a few minutes like, pushing someone into downward dog, you've no idea what's going on in the rest of the room. If you're doing a private, it's different. It's very different in a private setting. Mm. And you build a relationship with someone. Uh, but in a public class setting, I think it's, it's, it's very different. And my, yeah, my style of teaching means that I can probably sit down on the chair. And, and I did. When I broke my foot for about two months, I taught from a stool at the front of class. Mm. And I don't think the students had a worse experience. Mm. Uh, and it probably helped my teaching in the long run as well. Mm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think certainly. Just by teaching with one leg on a stool. Yeah, interesting. Well, um, you've got a workshop to get to, haven't you? I have indeed, we, yeah. We have, should I say, because I'm joining you um, as a student, obviously. Um, so, mate, that was brilliant, man. Awesome, thank um, you so much. If, uh, pe to the people listening, I would highly recommend Adam's classes, his workshops. I've been to a few of them now. Um, even thinking of going to the Seville retreat in... Cool. April, be nice, yeah. yeah. Get a bit of teacher training as well, kind of a double whammy, maybe a bit of sun, <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, that's it. Awesome, thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Have a good one. That's it. Best podcast yet? I, I think so. Um, yeah. So if you enjoyed it, leave a review. Next week I have Mandalay Kuhn. Mandalay is a former lawyer. Only recently she quit that after studying for years and in training for years and working for years to become a full-time yoga teacher. She's gone all around the world doing San Pedro ceremonies, which is where you drink, I think, from a cactus and start hallucinating. I'm not sure, but it's next level spirituality. She is also, um, she also goes into detail about her journey through fertility treatment, which I really admire because um, it's not an easy thing to share, but I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially in a society now where less and less people are getting married or staying in long-term relationships and having babies a lot later in life. So definitely tune in for that. If you enjoyed Jenny Keane's podcast, which was episode five, you're really going to like this one. As always, thank you so much. Please leave a review, iTunes or Stitcher. Have a great seven days. Chat to you next week.